You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. This is the Leaf Sky Podcast. Here's your host, Jim Taddy. Hi, everybody, and thank you, Mike Ross, for that fine introduction. Welcome to Leaf Sky, episode 17, or the Lost Vancouver Games, I guess is how you may describe it. Jim Taddy with you for the next about 40 minutes. Coming up in the broadcast, we will have Dave McCarthy stop by from Sirius XM, NHL Network Radio, and NHL.com, and also Joe Pascucci, former Winnipeg Global TV Sports Director, who can give us his take on the Leafs because he's back in Ontario now, but watches the Jets because he worked covering the Jets for many, many years. So sort of a Setup for the three-game series, Winnipeg at Toronto, three games this week. Before we go back into what happened and what didn't happen on the Western Swing, the five-game trip, let me tell you that it's that time of the year again. Conference tournaments are tipping off. Bubble teams are making their final push for a bid while the top seeds are preparing for what they hope is a long run. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting new customers in the center of the action. Bet $4 on an underdog, win $256 if they win. It's that simple. Well, let me explain. That's bet $4 on an underdog in select college basketball games, and if they win, you can collect $256. The bank is open. Pick one of many select college basketball underdogs for your shot at winning $256. And it takes $4 as a wager to do that, to make that happen. That is impressive. Just 4 bucks. There's no better way to put your college basketball knowledge to test than to put your money where your mouth is with DraftKings Sportsbook. Don't worry if college basketball isn't for you. DraftKings Sportsbook offers great odds and promotions on golf, hockey, and so much more. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, and you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-ranked DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code THPN when you sign up to turn $4 into $256. If the underdog of your choosing pulls off an upset, that's what will happen. That's code THPN to turn $4 into $256. Can I say it again? 4 becomes 256 For a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook, this opportunity exists. You must be 21 or older. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. You must be 21 years or older, New Jersey, Indiana, and Pennsylvania only. So how do we look at what just happened to the Leafs? Well, and, and you have to sort of figure in the three games against Winnipeg this week. So let's do it this way. Three in Edmonton, two in Vancouver, that's five. Three at home to Winnipeg, that's eight. Now normally, as you know, a playoff series is four to seven, but let's do this as an eight-game sample. And so the Leafs started extremely well, absolutely shutting down Edmonton, a 3 nothing series lead. Go to Vancouver, stumble the next night because it's back-to-back nights in different cities. And then on Saturday, had a 2-1 lead into the third. Nylander flips the puck over the glass on a just not a bright play. Vancouver scores in the power play. And all of a sudden, the tide turns, and Vancouver wins that. So they go 3-0, and then 0-2, and, 
And against Winnipeg, they have to get something going. So, again, just to sort of go through this, they do the job properly in Edmonton. Vancouver sees that and does to the Leafs what the Leafs did to Edmonton, and the Leafs couldn't respond as Edmonton couldn't respond. So now, against Winnipeg, the Leafs have to come up with an answer. There are some glaring holes in the Leafs game. For example, the core players. Let's go with Matthews, Marner, Nylander, and Tavares. Matthews, two games, nothing, minus three. Marner, two games, nothing, minus four. Nylander, nothing, plus one. Tavares, one goal, plus one. You add that all up, you get a goal and minus five for four very good hockey players. It gets a little worse here. Special teams is something the Leafs should be using to decide any game they play in. They had three power plays in two games, did not score a goal. They had to kill four penalties in two games. They allowed three goals. That's tough stuff to swallow, I got to say. So so there you are. It, some of it didn't work, and some of it did work. It worked really well in Edmonton, and just a no-show in terms of how the Leafs have presented themselves in the past in Vancouver. So let's get some analysis now. Let's bring in Dave McCarthy, NHL Network Radio and Sirius XM, and he also writes for NHL.com. So, Dave, when I look back over the two Vancouver losses, I really can't get that upset about Thursdays, but Saturdays was their game. Uh, I know the coach said he wasn't happy with the second period, but, you know, really it turns on the Nylander puck over the glass, which wasn't a brilliant play. But having said that, it sort of typified where the Leafs were, didn't it? Yeah, you know, when you go through stretches in the season, Jim, you're going to have games where you're just not at your best, where you don't have your A game. Um, and, and the heater that the Leafs were on for pretty well the last uh, couple of weeks, certainly coming off that series against Edmonton, was was really, I think, one where they were at their best. So invariably they were going to come down a little bit. Um, I'm not too concerned, honestly, about either game. As you as you mentioned, the Nylander puck over the glass penalty was was not ideal, and that really, I think, sent the momentum going in the in the wrong direction for Toronto on Saturday. But to me, the key now is, is how they come out and respond in this really critical three-game set against Winnipeg this week where um, first place could, could well still be on the line in this North Division. Like, we think the Leafs are home and cooled with, with their lead, uh, but with three games coming up against uh, Winnipeg, if they should ever lose all three of those in regulation, and then they still have, I, would be, I believe, six more head-to-head uh, against Winnipeg uh, might be five more um, after this week. There's still certainly a lot of uh, opportunity for Winnipeg to catch and pass Toronto. So, so Vancouver to me is over with. I'd look at the tape if I were Sheldon Keefe, and I try to take the lessons that I can that I can um, instruct. But I would put all the focus right now on making sure they come out well starting Tuesday night against Winnipeg because it's going to be a very important week for this team. Oh, absolutely, it is. And and the way I sort of have presented this is. The three in Edmonton, the two in Vancouver, and the three against Winnipeg, even though it totals eight games, it is sort of like a playoff series in that, not literally, but in that they were able to shut down Edmonton, then they got shut down. So there's a little punch-counterpunch here. So the Leafs have to sort out their top-end players, and they have to step up. Yeah, I mean, that's ultimately what the test is going to be with this Leafs team this year, right, Jim? It's going to be how they respond when the chips are on the line in the playoffs. And I think, um, you know, they, they can they can cruise through this regular season if they want. They can win the division by 10 if, if, if that's what it ends up being. 
it's not much going to matter if what they do starting in the first round of the playoffs is underwhelming. So I think as you move along here in this season, and I think part of it is, is, is the trajectory that they're moving on, um, try to find ways, as you, as you mentioned, I really like that point, um, try to manufacture playoff series, playoff scenarios, for, for lack of a better term, um, that, can, that can help prepare you to when you invariably get into the playoffs and then something doesn't go your way. You need to be able to turn that tide quickly, a game or two. It can't go any longer than that. Otherwise, you're up against the wall. So this is one of those opportunities now, uh, like we just talked about, for them to come out and, and, and be much more like the team that we had seen um, against Edmonton. They've given me every indication so far this year that they will be able to respond appropriately. Uh, but that's going to be the key for this team and, and ultimately the test. If they can find a way to build that maturity into their games. They've done it all in the regular season over the last three or four years. Now it's what are they going to do in the playoffs um, and to, to practice in those type of scenarios, I think is, is a really smart approach. And really over the last uh, week or so, the third line solidified, fourth line has chipped in. And so the bottom six have established themselves and now it's up to the top six to deliver some numbers here. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, and the funny thing, last time I was on your show, we were talking about Matthews, and we were talking about 50 and 56, and the way he was going, it looked like that was that was a definite possibility. Now that's not a possibility any longer, but um, I think more importantly is is getting Matthews back to to some level of, of productivity. Um, that wrist injury, to me, Jim, is concerning that he's dealing with, and, and, and yeah. Sheldon Keefe, uh, referenced it, I guess, 10 days or so ago now, that it's been something that he has been battling with uh, throughout the regular season, which to me was was quite eye-opening. Like I, yep. I, I was like, wait, excuse me, what's that? Um, so given how well he had played, it, it is good that he had been able to manage through it, but it looks like it has become exacerbated to an extent. And, and, and Keefe said today, that he still is is being inhibited somewhat and getting off the type of shots uh, that he had become accustomed to getting off with with the injury that he's now dealing with that seems to have um, I don't know if worsened is the right word but is something that is is more at the front of his mind than it was uh, before ten days or so ago now so that that's concern because a wrist injury for a shooter is one of those things that can really really affect you um, if you can get a shot off without, you know, feeling a twinge in your arm, um, you're not going to be the same level of effectiveness. So that to me is a concern. And then you look, you know, down the lineup at John Tavares and William Nylander. Nylander played uh, much better there for, for four or five games. Uh, and, and, you know, it's funny, you go back to people say, oh, well, see, that's the Nylander that, that you know, we're always defending and that he can be. Why are you so hard on him all the time? Well, you're hard on him because you don't see that Nylander very often. So you need that guy to continue um, to show up the way he was for that four-game stretch there when he scored each game. Obviously, you're not going to score every game, but but be involved in the play, getting to the front of the net like he had been um, during that stretch. Need that guy on a, on a much more consistent basis in the second half of the year because that line, to me, I still, I still go back to that, is going to be critical for this Leafs team. Um, what is Nylander and Tavares going to be able to provide this group 
you're going to need some level of supplementary scoring beyond just Matthews and Marner. Tavares and Nylander are really going to need to be able to impact this team if they're going to if they're going to go anywhere. Well, look in the two games against Vancouver, uh, Austin Matthews had opportunities. In the second game, he had six pucks at the net. Three were actual shots. In the first game, he had eight attempts. Five were actual shots. Uh, it's not about the shots. He just doesn't look dominant. And so I don't no. know what the adjustment is there, but he, he doesn't look the same, which would concern me. That's that's exactly it. He's not commanding the play the way he was you know, a couple of weeks ago when we last spoke, where it just looked like he was all over the ice and he was, he, he, you know, he was out there playing for fun, so to speak, like playing against uh, a pro playing against rec leaguers. That's really what it looked like when he was at the the peak of his uh, dominance. Uh, But I haven't seen that guy since he missed that game with the uh, the wrist injury and came back. Um, There has not been that same level of command in his play. So yeah, as you you suggested, the the stats there, he got some shots to the net. That's all well and good. Uh, But there doesn't look like there's that same level of, of danger in his in his play for the opponent right now and that's what I'm interested in Uh, I'm not so worried about him getting pucks to the net because a lot of guys get pucks to the net but a lot of guys when they get those pucks to the net you know they don't have a hope of going in um to to me it's it's what kind of shots is he getting to the net and is he getting to positions um where he can score and is his wrist strong enough to score from further out, which was a, a skill uh, of his, right? Not a lot of guys can score from as far away from the net as Matthews can. Um, without that, he's not the same player. So that, to me, is something I'm going to be watching um, over these next three games against Winnipeg. And I'll tell you what, it, it's going to be a difficult test because, uh, I'll, man, Winnipeg, they might be as strong a team um, line for line up the middle of the ice as any in this in this North Division with Shifley, with, uh, with Dubois. Their third line is, is legit. Um, there's a lot of interesting options that, that, he, that Matthews is going to have to contend with um, on, an, on a shift-by-shift basis these next three games. It'll be a test to see how he handles it. Well, and, and you know, as Matthews goes, so does the power play. And so in two games against Winnipeg, they had three power plays they didn't score. They had four penalties to kill, and three times they couldn't do it. The Canucks scored on three or four power plays. That, that special team stuff has got to be cleaned up. It does. It does. And that was that was their bread and butter earlier on in the year. The power play was going well. The penalty killing was going well. Um, when when that's the case, when you're above average on both, uh, both special teams um, and you're commanding the play at even strength the way Matthews was, you're going to win a lot of hockey games. Uh, but when the, the special teams battle starts to sway in your opponent's favor, right there, um, you're in a tighter spot. And then if you don't have the same level of success five on five, uh, then you're going to be fighting it. You're going to be chasing the game a lot, which is what they uh, did in, in Vancouver. So um, it, it certainly does have to be cleaned up, but I think it all comes back to um, what type of player is, is Matthews going to be. It's funny, the game he missed – they, they look like a really sound team. I thought they played uh, a good game and won. But I don't know if it's that you rely on, maybe subconsciously, a guy like Matthews when he's back in the lineup. Uh, the, the whole team just, it looks like something's been slightly off those, those two games in Vancouver. Um, and it needs, to, it needs to get better quickly. 
Yeah, I would agree with you there. Uh, he missed a couple of games in the uh, series against Edmonton, and they were they were bang on and, and seemed to fill the gap nicely. And sometimes it happens that when a star comes back, people step off the gas a bit, expecting him to do it, and he takes a couple of games to get his rhythm back, and maybe that's part of the explanation. Yeah. No, that, that could be it for sure. And this is not hypercriticism because, I mean, no. you know, it, it, it sounds like every time Matthews doesn't score in a game, everyone's disappointed. Well, that's not, that's not realistic. Um, even I know, but it's true. <laughs> well, but that's, you know, as my, as my history teacher once told me, Jim, set the expectations low. Then when you remember your postal code, everybody's like, yeah, buddy, great job. <laughs> he's not, he's not wrong about that. So when you score, when you score every game, like man, I could tell you more that stories. That is just about, poor. That, that's I could, bad. I could tell you more stories about Dr. Leach, but that's for another show. Um, but, but no, that's the, the case, right? The, the, the level that Matthews had set for himself scoring just about every game it seems like a disappointment when he doesn't score. That's not realistic. Even at his peak, he's not going to score um, every game. But it goes back to what we were saying earlier in the chat. It's just not that he's not scoring. But I'm not noticing him command the game um, a- as well, the way he did. And that, that has nothing to do with scoring. You can, you, you can be a physical presence. You can be um, you know, in the defensive zone, creating turnovers, getting the puck up. Uh, letting somebody else go to work. Um, you can be around the net. That that all has nothing to do with actually shooting it in. But to me, it shows that you're um, you're in the game and you're making an impact on the game. I haven't seen that again. Not not a criticism. Couple games, he's got to get his rhythm back. But I want to see him start commanding the game the way he did. If he does that, the goals will come. Okay, but I mean this team is eighteen six and two, and I know they can get a scare this week out of Winnipeg. But but I think a lot of our analysis, certainly when you and I talk specifically, what we're doing is looking at how this plays out when the playoffs roll around because we've done the regular season thing you and I before, and mm-hmm. we know how it turns out. So that's why I originally came at you with three, two, and three. Those those eight games is a playoff series because you can do that in that that series or that sequence of games, and and probably the team does that anyway. But that's that's how you have to look at it. Tell me what happens at the end of the eight games, and then I'll give you a, sort of a, an idea where this team's going. But the other thing that that I've done is realizing that uh, Joe Thornton in the third period in the game Saturday was pulled back, and, and Hyman was put up there to to sort of change things up. And understanding that you know Thornton has to be healthy for the playoffs, Wayne mm-hmm. Simmons has to be healthy for the playoffs. But if they're not. Or if they go down in a playoff series, the Leafs are in a, in a, in a big jam because these guys are very, very important to what the Leafs are going to do. So I looked at that and thought they have to get somebody who's, a, and I don't know what the age group would be, whether some people would say late 20s. Um, you know, the age doesn't matter to me, but, but whoever they get has to be capable of playing top six and has to be sort of a blend of Thornton and Simmons in terms of what they bring to the table, because the odds are one of those two guys is at some point not going to be able to play. I, I just think that that's a, a natural assumption, isn't it? Yeah, I I agree that they do need to go out and find a way to add a forward to play probably more so on that left side than anything else uh, that can, that can handle top six minutes. I think that is, is critical because when, you know, Thornton was out of the lineup, um, and Simmons was out of the lineup. It's incredible how lean this team gets on the left side in a hurry. 
Um, and it's, it's incredible how much of an impact Joe Thornton has had when he has been in the lineup. I don't, like, I don't think people were necessarily expecting what he has delivered so far. He's, he's surpassed my expectations. Um, and when he's been in the lineup with Matthews and Marner, and when they were going good, I mean, that was a dynamite line, and Thornton looked more than capable of holding his own there. But I, I still think they need uh, another guy that would give Keith, I think, flexibility. Uh, what it would do would be it would allow uh, Sheldon to to sort of marry himself to that third line with Hyman on it, which when they were going well, Hyman, uh, Engvall, and Mikheyev yeah. really, really gave Keith some flexibility in the lineup from a matchup standpoint. Um, but, you know, that depends on, on Thornton being in the lineup, and it depends on getting something out of Alexander Kerfoot. If either of those two guys are not going, um, then you're in a real big problem because you don't really have anybody else that can that can fill into that role it's funny I was trying to think of some guys that that would come to mind um that could potentially fill into a role like that how about a guy like Nick Foligno oh yeah but that's uh like what do you have to pay to get Nick Foligno and how do you make that salary fit in there well that's you know that is the issue um I think he would be an interesting guy uh, especially if, if Columbus starts to work their way out of the playoff picture. Uh, they're in tight now, and I don't know if they're going to be able to get it together in time. Um, you, you'd obviously have to send money out, um, and you wonder if Columbus would be looking for a guy with some term uh, coming back because it's hard enough to apparently seemingly get guys to sign in Columbus, which uh, quite honestly I don't understand. They seem to have a good culture there. But it's really difficult for, for guys to, to go and then guys to stay. It seems to be an issue. But, you know, if you move a guy like Alex Kerfoot out, he's got some term um, and some, some money going out the door. It might allow you to, to work that in from a flexibility standpoint. Would you, be, would you be working against your depth if you make that move um, by bringing Felino in and moving Kerfoot out? Maybe, but I think Felino might be an upgrade in in that regard. Like I think he's a jack of all trades. He can play up your lineup. He can play down your lineup. He kills penalties. He can use them on the power play. He'd really give you a lot of flexibility. Um, and I think he might be that type of guy that could um, essentially be the puck getter on a line with a, a Tavares and and Nylander and do it quite effectively. I, it's just something that came to mind. And if there was a deal there to be made, I'd, I'd look at trying to find a way to work it out. Plus. Uh, the guy is a guy that you just want around your group. Like, I mean, he is a salt-of-the-earth guy. He's well-respected in any room he's in. He's captain in, in Columbus. Um, he, he's a guy that would have an impact off the ice as well. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, you'd have to send more than Kerfoot for him, but I'm sure uh, you could work some assets in there. And, and you know, I, I'm not a big fan of draft picks based on the uncertainty of the draft. I don't. This could be... Uh, kind of a an odd year to be drafting players so maybe you want to move a pick yeah no you'd, you'd certainly need to either throw in a pick or uh uh you know a, a prospect of some sort be it a Lilligren. like i wouldn't i'd be really reluctant to move a nick robertson just because i think in a year or so he could uh, grow in to fill the role that we are currently discussing um a hole in um i think he could be that good so i'd be reluctant to move a guy like him but a guy like Lilligren. Um, you know, if, if Columbus would have some interest in that, 
I, I don't know. I, I looked long and hard at finding a way to, to, to bring in a guy like Nick Foligno. I, I really like what that guy brings to a team. I do too. So he's at 5.5 and he's unrestricted uh, next or this summer. So uh, it's something to look at that way. And in terms of what goes out, I mean, there is an expansion draft. So you might want to, maybe there's a, an asset that, that you're not going to protect that, that's mm-hmm. not really contributing in a draft pick. And, you know, I, I agree with you on Kerfoot, not, nothing against Kerfoot, but if Engvall can do the job uh, and when Simmons comes back, there's really no spot for him or his normal spot might be taken if, if that's the way you want to look at it. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think they're just trying to find ways to upgrade the team. I think a guy like Felino would be an upgrade on Kerfoot. And I will say this about Pierre Engvall. Um, if he, like, the giraffe was galloping those couple of games. Like, that's, that's his yeah. nickname. But he was all over the ice, right? Like, he was using his legs. He was beating guys with his speed. He was getting to where he needed to be on the ice so that his reach could come into play. Um, He was carrying the puck with some authority. This guy can be a really effective player um, if he decides to to commit himself the way he played uh, a few games or so ago there against Edmonton. I think the biggest thing with Engvall, Jim, is... He like just being around him. He he's such a laid back, easygoing guy. And I think that's typical of a lot of guys from that part of the world. Like they're the nicest people ever, right? But yep. um, he, you, you need to tick him off before the game because when he plays a little bit angry, like you you can't stop the guy if he decides that I'm getting that puck. Good luck to you because he's that big, he's that strong, he's that fast. Um, I that. <laughs> What he showed me on that third line was really, really impressive. I think that's the guy that he can be. And I think, quite honestly, that's why, why Kyle Dubas and Sheldon Keefe have shown such patience with Pierre. Because I think yeah. they see the ceiling there, kind of like the patience they showed with Justin Hall. And that's, that's starting to flourish now. Um, he has been, like the last calendar year hadn't been great for Pierre. But, man, I think they... If you're Keith, you got to show him footage of those few games against Edmonton. Send him home, put it on his phone, wherever you need to show. Watch this and and be that guy every game, and you'll be in this league a long, long time. Yeah, I agree with your assessment there. And and if we make that trade, because we're the ones making the trade, yeah. uh, and and you have a healthy Simmons, uh, there's really no spot for VC in this lineup. But uh, but this is a this is a rock solid lineup. And and I guess the only other thing that I wanted to explore with you is the trade deadline is April 12th. The season ends on May 8th. And if you acquire somebody from an American team, you're looking at two weeks of quarantine. So I don't think that's a deadline deal. I think it's pre-deadline. I I agree. I think from a Canadian team's standpoint. Uh, the trade deadline this year should be about March 18th, March 20th, right? Because yeah. you you got to bring in a guy that has a month to acclimate with the group. So if you if you bring him in March 18th, March 20th, he's he's probably not going to get in the lineup because remember you got to quarantine, and then you probably need another week to get the guy up and running because as Pierre Luc Dubois found out, it's pretty tough. Um, to to go from your hotel room for two weeks uh, into an NHL game the next night. Like, you need a week of practice to get up and running. Probably not getting the guy into the lineup until April 10th. So that's, you know, what what is that going to be? Maybe 10, 12 games or so. If that. If, if that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, uh, if you're the Leafs, I would be keeping my ears peeled for um, a move of that nature 
what are we, what are we now? March 8th, like within the next 10 days, two weeks. Yeah. Two weeks max. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Dave. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. Awesome, Jim. Thanks, buddy. Now we go down the hall and get further analysis. And actually, the other side of the story, Joe Pascucci, a longtime friend, Toronto guy who lives in Ontario now, was the sports director at Global Winnipeg for decades, like three decades. And he gives us the Winnipeg slant and also will sprinkle a little, a little leaf talk because he knows the leaves well. He's watched them all his life. This is a fascinating conversation. Okay, Joe, uh, give us your thought on, on the Leafs. I mean, there's obviously a little concern because they've lost two in a row after maybe their best three games in a row in a long time against Edmonton. Yeah, I, I'm I'm not as concerned. I, I watched the game on Saturday night against Vancouver. I thought they dominated the Canucks for the most part. Just unfortunate uh, they didn't cash in on all the great opportunities uh, that they had, and Demko uh, you know, held the Canucks in there. Maybe the Leafs were a little bit unfortunate that they fell behind, but I thought the Leafs dominated and those two quick goals kind of turned the tide and it just didn't seem that they had any uh, bounce back in them after that. Uh, what did you make of uh, the way Vancouver played the Leafs? Because I thought really, uh, I guess in simple terms, Vancouver did to the Leafs what the Leafs did to Edmonton. Yeah, I mean, Vancouver has, uh, you know, I get to see them when they, they play against the, the Winnipeg Jets a lot, and they've given the Jets fits this season, even though uh, the Jets have won the majority of the games. They seem to be able to shut down, uh, you know, a fast-skating team They're with their defensive play. Maybe they lay back. They, their gaps aren't that bad. Um, so, you know, it's, it's for the Jets, I know, it's really hard to generate anything when they play against the Vancouver Canucks. And obviously, I guess the same against the Maple Leafs. Uh, but if you've got great goaltending, that covers up for the mistakes when you do make them. And uh, like I said, Saturday night, Demko's, Demko was certainly, uh, for me, the number one star of that game for the Canucks. And I just think, you know, they're not as bad a team as their record may indicate. They've had a lot of bad luck. They've had, you know, some lack of scoring on certain occasions and, and defensively they can be vulnerable when their goaltending is not top notch. Well, look, with all these teams playing each other, same division, I mean, it can be all, all, an, an all or nothing premise, sorry. And, and so when you look at it, uh, you see the teams that are sort of outside the playoff bubble, they're not that bad. The record will not do them any, any kind of service, will it? No, it won't. But you know, you look at, I'm going to go back to the jets. I've, I looked at their schedule this year, all the games that they've played. They've really only played two good 60-minute games. A really? lot of their victories, they've fallen behind. They've had to come from behind. A lot of the victories, they really didn't play that well in the first period. You know, against Montreal in the game that they won, they really didn't look that good. But they got it to overtime and they won. A week ago, you know... Uh, Laurent Bressois, or no, that was Connor Hellebuck's night. He had to stand on his head just to get the game to overtime. Where, of course, with the, you know, the Jets' skill of uh, forwards, they were able to win that game. But there's been a lot of games like that where the Jets, you know, just don't seem to be engaged, you know, for the full 60 minutes. And that was certainly the case against the Canadians on Saturday. They just really didn't seem to be there. And, you know, when your fourth line is your best line, and that's no disrespect 
to, you know, Perot, to Nate Thompson, to Trevor Lewis. No disrespect to them. They earned it. They played hard every shift. But your fourth line can't be your best line. So what do you think the issue is there? I mean, not being engaged, that sounds like an old Leaf problem. Uh, you know, they. I will wonder sometimes what, if how hard Paul Maurice is on them. Uh, he does a lot of that behind closed doors and, you know, the media in Winnipeg, which I'm, I'm no longer really a media member in Winnipeg because I, I live now in the Ontario region. So I watch them from afar, but you know, he, he doesn't let too much get out and neither does the team. There's a very close knit kind of group and they keep everything in house and you know, and if something's really go bad, they'll just sort of, well, that was just one of those games. Like a week ago against Montreal when they won that game in overtime, they said, well, you know, we weren't really too happy with the performance, but, you know, if it happens again, then we'll address it. Well, it happened again a week later, and this time they, you know, it ate them up, and they got blown out 7-1 to and were embarrassing. Uh, go, let's go back to the Lion A trade. Uh, how surprised were you that 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 happened, and and what do you think the issue was with him? Well, Patrick Liney, great offensive player. Defensively, not so good. Commitment to working hard for the first few seasons, and eh, not so good. There were games where Jets would get to overtime, and Patrick Liney would make one of those lazy little passes, you know, into the middle of the ice. And the other team would score and win. It happened on back-to-back nights. I think I think the two teams were Pittsburgh and Columbus, as I recall. Back-to-back nights in overtime, he turned the puck over, Whoa. and they won. But last season, he was trending towards a more rounded player, a solid player. He was using more, you know, of his becoming that power forward that they, you know, they had envisioned that he could become. And so he was trending in the right way. First game of the season. This year uh, against Calgary, when the Jets came back and won that one in overtime, and Line A had the two goals, he was he. The thing that most impressed me in that game about him was his defensive play, not his offensive play. He he is he was outstanding on defensively. Came back and back checked. He took pucks off other, you know, when the Flames had the puck, he took the puck off their sticks. It was like it was a whole new player, and I was like, wow. He really has come to play. And general manager Kevin Sheveldayoff had said that he believed that this would be Patrick Lyonnais' best season. If that first game was an indication, then he was correct. But, you know, I've watched a couple, not a lot, but a couple of games from Columbus. And he looks to be going back to that player that, yes, he can score goals from anywhere. But his commitment to checking, to coming back and playing defense, it's kind of loosey-goosey right now. Well, that's not going to work there, is it? <laughs> no, I mean, he already got he already got benched once, and that was for yelling at a coach. Hmm. So I, he's a great hockey player, uh, a little demanding, and maybe, you know, great hockey players should be a little demanding, and, and the Jets certainly didn't, you know, provide him with a quality center, you know, because Mark Scheife was playing with Blake Wheeler, and and – and Paul Maurice had mentioned, you know, this year after the trade, that whenever they did play line A with Shifley, the combination didn't seem to work. That, you know, that's interesting because there are some some leaf issues 
that way where certain people have to play with certain people. And, you know, the, what you're describing out of line, it would remind me of any of the younger players a couple of years ago where they had to learn that there's a, a second half to the rink and, and through repeated uh, playoff embarrassments, I, it looked like they have, the, they've learned the lesson this year. And, and of course, bringing in veterans, it's, it's yeah. interesting that you have really good players that actually have to learn that. Yeah. It's, and they're young, right? Yeah. That's, that's what Paul Maurice says. They're young players though. This season he has said they're not young anymore. They're and they're veteran players. Right. So there has been, uh, you know, after saying that, you know, they have really haven't played well in a lot of games. I guess that's been their consistency. But when they play a north-south game, they're a very dominant team. When they try to go east-west with the puck, um, things break down. I've never – I don't have the analytics on this. I only can do the eye test. But I have not seen an NHL team like the Jets that can turn the puck over six feet – on either side of the blue line, whether it be at the offensive end or the defensive end. Yeah. They they could be six feet from their own blue line and they can't get the puck out. Like, because they're trying to make a cute play. Just get it out. Right? That's the number one thing. Just get it out. But they won't do that. And for some reason, and when, when they try to play this east-west game, they get they get burned. If they go north-south, they're they're a very exciting team. Okay, so again, that's another leaf type thing, not not <laughs> specifically, but the default. So I, I have to figure out what the sequence is. Do they go east west when they're panicking, or like what what creates the east west game? They they tried to get. They seem to want to play cute. Now, yeah, this week watch Nikolai Ehlers. Okay, yeah, you know, a season ago in the summer he was on the supposedly reportedly on the trade block, had a great regular season and then the playoffs he was the Jets best uh, player in the playoffs and this season he's been really good but then that sometimes and when you watch him play he tries to get a little too cute tries to make a fancy play instead of just go make the direct straight line play and in in the game against Montreal there was a, a sort of three on two break and he had the puck in the middle of the ice and instead of just making a straight pass over to a wide open Kyle Connor he tried to make the pass between his legs. And of course it got intercepted and went back the other way. Like, what are you trying to do? Why are you trying to be so cute with the puck? But when he takes that out of his game, he is a dominant player and very exciting to watch. But he, he just, you know, he drifts back a few times into that kind of cutesy kind of, well, I'll just try to make this, this cute little play and it'll, you know, be exciting. And, it doesn't, it doesn't work all the time. And Paul Maurice, when asked, what does he like about Nick Ehlers? He says, I like Nick Ehlers when he shoots the puck. And this season, more than not, he has shot the puck. But there are times that he just tries to, just tries to do something fancy that just doesn't need to be done. You know, that's, that's an interesting analysis. And, and you and I have been around for a number of years. And so my theory is the really great players don't have to be told they, they search out the answer and they work hard. Mm-hmm. The just great players have to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, like you look at this three game series coming up with the, with the jets and, and the Maple Leafs. And, you know, I, if the jets play like they did against Montreal, it's going to be a blowout. And I worry about the Maple Leafs because if they lock up first place, 
you know, here by the midway point of the season, practically. Yeah, well, it would be. What do they have to play for? Well, which, yeah. which has been the problem the previous few seasons because they're sort of stuck in that third place. They can't go down. They can't go up. So what's the regular, what do they have left to prove or play for in the regular season when they've virtually clinched first place? And that doesn't bode well when you're trying to get yourself ready for the playoffs, which has been, which has happened to them in the last couple of years. Yeah. Well, the, yeah, the, the first round flameouts, not good, but that's like the, a president's trophy curse where you, <laughs> you, you have that great regular season in Tampa is maybe the best example two years ago. I, there's no battle of ad- adversity. And so this is actually Leaf fans are maybe wishing that maybe they go on a bit of a, a, a bender because then there'd be some adversity. Yeah. Well, let's, you know, we're both old enough and to say that we saw the Leafs win the Stanley Cup. <laughs> and yes, remember the 66-67 season, they went on a 10-game losing streak. <laughs> so they had adversity. They had something to fight and claw for all the way through to the end of the season. Yeah. And if the, you know, that's why I said I worry about the Leafs if they can if they clinch first place, if they sweep the Jets and they're they're running away with the, the Canadian division. What do they have to play for besides their own personal stats the rest of the way for 20 or more games? That's that just doesn't that doesn't seem good. Well, no, I mean, right now they're 18, six and two. I mean, that's that's phenomenal. And they've yeah. looked really good. Uh, you yeah. know, just really, uh, you know, just you'd just be concerned if you were Saturday's last to Vancouver. The Thursday loss is like to schedule loss, really. And. Yeah. And if they were to beat the Jets two to one in, in the three game series, they'd be right back. They'd be maintaining themselves. I mean, really, this is an opportunity for the Jets because it, if they could go on a streak here and yeah. cause the Leafs some trouble, they could close that gap. Definitely. And they have the two games in hand. And the yeah. Jets have yet to lose two reg, uh, regulation time games in a row this season. So they've bounced back every time they've lost. Connor Hellebuck has bounced back. Every time they've lost, though Saturday's defeat had nothing to do with Connor Hellebuck's play. That well, see, that, had, that had more to do with everybody else than, <laughs> than Connor Hellebuck. Laurent Bossois, who usually plays very well, uh, he didn't have one of his best games. But, but that, Connor that, was fine. That's a dangerous team, though. You can never count them out. And if no. they cleaned up a few things, like if they started well, yeah, they if they well that would be that would be a great change. <laughs> If they started well, that hasn't happened too often. They had one, they had a great first period in their first game against Montreal. They was dominant at the Thursday game. And, and I remember tweeting out that was the best first period of the season for the Jets. They had a two nothing lead. Second period. Where did they go? This was the team that showed up on Saturday night. They ended up winning that Thursday game in overtime, but you know, all the good work they had done in the first period, then they went back to that kind of, you know, east-west, trying to be a little too cute, turn the puck over at the blue line, can't get the puck out of their own end. The gap, you know, the the, the gap. The, Montreal had no problem whatsoever getting the puck out of their own zone Saturday night and passing it from, you know, their goal line all the way up to the Jets' blue line. Oh, the stretch pass. And it worked <laughs> all the time. And <laughs> they had no pro- there was no there was nobody in the way. 
You don't want to say stretch pass to the Leafs. <laughs> That's not a good thing. <laughs> that was well, maybe their... we have two teams that are very similar. But I, <laughs> but the Jets, unlike the Leafs, I think the Leafs have grit. They've got yes, some they sandpaper. Do. You know, with the exception of you know two or three players on the on the Jets, I, I don't see that they have that grit and sand it's sandpaper. And that's what's cost them in the playoffs. Because Milan Lucic and Sam Bennett just ate them up in last year's playoffs. Patrick Maroon, the year before that was St. Louis, the, he gave them fits. And then against Las Vegas, it was Ryan Reeves who came in in game two, you know, put Blake Wheeler into the visiting team bench. And the series you know, kind of flipped from that point on. And the, the Jets had no answer for any of that physical play. So uh, could this be a play-by-play if the Leafs and Jets meet in the playoffs? Oh, Simmons is just manhandling the Jets. They can't contend with another goal. Power play tipped in. Joe Thornton, he goes to the front of the net. Yeah. Uh, I don't see too many Jets getting to the front of the net. That's another way you can tell they're not playing well is when <laughs> there's nobody going to the net. You know, and, well, you're not, yeah, you're not and I, I hate, to, hate to put all this negativity on the Jets because they do have a decent record, but they're winning sometimes in spite of themselves. Mm. But they do have some great offensive players. Mark Scheifele is, you know, is having a great year, as is Nikolai Ehlers, when he just goes straight ahead, you know, and he's a great player. Kyle Connor, of course, he can score from anywhere. Blake Wheeler is bounced back. He, you know, he had he may he had to have been injured earlier this season when he was playing really bad because it was so un Blake Wheeler like to see some of the defensive lapses in the last you know little while. You know, he's back to the Blake Wheeler that we know. Um, but, but watch, watch how the uh, on the power play. If the Jets don't win the faceoff <laughs> when they have the power play. It's going to take them about a minute to get back into the zone because oh. they keep turning the puck. They turn the puck over. They get over the blue line, and then they turn it over, and it goes back the other way. Well, that way you described Ehlers reminds me of Nylander. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Hmm. You know, I, I very similar. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Very similar players. You know, and um, just just drive to the net, and you're okay. But no, we got a tipsy doodle. <laughs> but Ehlers can do it really good because he's got that great speed, you know, and he, you know, he'll take the puck around the net and he'll skate all the way back to the blue line. He'll do, you know, he'll work on those edges. He gets, he gets himself open. Right. And, you know, he, he he's a good player. He is a good player. He's, if when he bears down, he is an outstanding hockey player. When he kind of, you know, gets a little loosey with the puck, uh, it can get ugly. So let's let's close on this. As the trade deadline approaches, uh, the talk for the Leafs is they'd like a top six forward, and that's a, that's an interesting discussion. But what do you think the Jets would be after? Um, they would be after uh, a defenseman, and the name that's uh, I've heard, you know, just because of other people's reporting, is uh, uh, Matthias Ekholm out of Nashville. Mm. You know, he might be a fit uh, for the Jets, and because their defense. Um, Josh Morrissey is having, uh, he's bounced back from last season, uh, but he's still having a, a few rough games. Uh, their best defensive pairing right now is Neil Pionk and Derek Forbert. Uh, that's their best pair. Dylan DeMello, who they picked up last year um, from Ottawa and who worked really good 
with uh, Josh Morrissey. Um, this season, he struggled a little bit. Uh, he didn't play right away because uh, he, he and his wife, uh, they had a baby. And so he missed the first few games when he came back. They put him right back with Morrissey. Didn't work out very well. It was not very good. So now Dylan DeMello is on the third defensive pairing with Nathan uh, Beaulieu. And and, and Beaulieu is, is, has struggled the last few games. But he's in the lineup because he provides a, a, a physical presence. So he, he's there on the third pairing, uh, you know, for that reason. Though there are other, you know, defensemen that the Jets have, uh, young defensemen that could probably fill that, you know, could probably play better, move the puck out of the zone better than Nathan Beaulieu. But he's there sort of as protection because he's the, he's the only one that really will get physically engaged and drop the gloves, though that doesn't seem to happen that much in the NHL these days. And Tucker Pullman, he, uh, right now he's uh, uh, he had the, he had COVID. He's back and he's been paired with uh, with Morrissey, and that seems to be a pair that when they're two together, they seem to be play well. But a defenseman uh, and more experienced puck moving defenseman with a shot from the point uh, would be would really serve the Jets well. Joe, thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Jim. Anytime. Last minute of play in this podcast. Well, there it is. Want to thank our PA announcer, Mike Ross, for the time warning. We got to get this in. The Yes Guy, No Guy Awards go like this. No guy to the least big guns. One goal, minus five in two games. That would be Matthews Marner, Nylander, and Tavares. They've got to contribute more. No question about it. No guy to the team performance. You play like you did in Edmonton, and then when Vancouver shuts you down, no answer. That's just not good enough. That's an absolute no guy. However, we counter that with a yes guy because it was a successful road trip at 3-2, and two, much better than the alternative. And with those games in Edmonton, it gives you hope that there's something really good happening with this team. Obviously, the Vancouver situation negated that. But we move on. Another yes guy to the third line. Through it all, they have been stellar. Engvall between Mikheyev and Hyman. Very good unit. Hope you enjoyed Episode 17 and hope you come back for Episode 18 on Friday.